Well, it's great to be with you. Uh, thank you for inviting me and uh, letting me share in your service today. Um, I, I feel quite, quite thrilled, really, because I have been here a few times uh, in the last couple of years, but I've not been on a Sunday uh, to see you all here. So it's nice to see that there's some people to sit on these chairs. Uh, I was supposed to be coming to the official opening of this great new, well not new building, but refurbed building. Um, I, I put a suit on that probably matches the back wall, so you, if you're watching on, on, on video, you'll probably just see it in my head at the moment. But, um, but it's, it, it's uh, and of course that all got stopped with COVID, uh, and it never happened. So if we want to have a quick opening ceremony, this is the moment now. Um, thank you, Lord, for this lovely new building and the very strange wooden carpet that is wood, but it's not wood and feels like it should be something else. That's just weird. I mean, that is just strange, that flooring. Uh, anybody that, like me, is a little bit on the spectrum, that's just a real, a real thing for me, but that's okay. And, uh, and thank you, too, because, of course, uh, the, the reason I mention that is because that opening didn't happen, because we all went into lockdown, didn't we? We were all uh, scared of catching something from each other. And, um, but actually, I want to say thank you to this church because of the way that you supported us so much uh, when we all went online and of course this church you were able to do some brilliant online services but many of our smaller churches just didn't have the space and the resources and thank you for the way you so generously gave so much of the material that you were using for us to use um, in, in NWBA and I think you used a couple of my sermons when Jonathan couldn't think of anything to say so that was uh, that, that would have been a rare day that's never happened to me actually it's never as my as my mum says. He can speak even if he's got nothing to say. But uh, it's it's so. But I do want to say really thank you for that, and I hope that uh, that encouraged you to recognise why we're not just 150 churches in the northwest, but we are a Baptist community in the northwest. Because there are times when we need to be left alone to get on with doing what God's called us to do, and there are times when we really need each other. And I guess for you as a church at the moment, part of my privilege of being here is just to remind you of that family as you go through, as you've already mentioned today in your service, a little bit of a new phase in your journey together. Um, someone prayed for me before about Phil, who's been doing this job for such a long time. It's interesting, that prayer, isn't it? He's been doing this for such a long time. I don't know whether that's a hint, whether that's a cry for mercy, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've journeyed through uh, a number of pastoral changes here with you, and um, we're, we're here for you if you need it and in this next phase of the journey. The key thing is, um, I know that we lost Ian Lavender, another national treasure, um, but don't panic is probably still the best phrase to take through a church pastoral vacancy. Don't panic. Anyway, that's not what I'm here to do primarily today. It is to open God's word, and as Sober's already reminded us, who is still a Baptist minister, by the way. Some doubt has been cast on that already today, but this man is definitely a Baptist minister. In fact, he's a double Baptist minister, because as well as being in the Bible Society, he's actually looking after two churches in Greater Manchester, so he is definitely a Baptist minister, double stripe, all the rest of it, top man, and it's great to have him with us today. Um, where was I? Yes, we were talking about God's word, weren't we? That's right. Which you can't really not do when Asaba is around with you. And we're going to look a little bit together at that story 
which uh, we began to read. Thank you, Ian, for, for beginning to read that story. And if you're involved in home groups and stuff this week, you have an opportunity, or I'm going to invite you to uh, sit and to maybe just spend some time with the whole of John chapter 9. Because what I want to share with you this morning actually, I think, has something to sort of, sort of repeats itself through the chapter. Or, in fact, I would really just recommend, if, if you're doing nothing this afternoon, um, I don't know, City of Only United playing so city fans liverpool fans uh, you've got nothing to do this afternoon so if you've got an hour just grab yourself a coffee and just spend some time with the whole of john chapter nine and i'd really encourage you as well don't read it um forgive me but but you know the bible is a wonderful book but i think sometimes we kind of read it as a sort of you know this is god's holy word it's also an account of very real human events And I'd encourage you to read this story as an account of just human nature and human reaction. Because that's kind of what I want us to think about a little bit this morning. I think I should just also add one. I used to be a marine engineer. Uh, That used to be my job, by the way. And I love that song, My Lighthouse. And I think it's great following Jesus. But can I just say something? If you ever find yourself on a troubled sea and you see a lighthouse, don't follow it. That's really not a good idea, okay? I'm not quite sure what was going on when that song was sung. But if you ever see a lighthouse, whatever you do, don't head for it. I know it finishes, so we're on fire. I'm not surprised you shouldn't have headed for the lighthouse. That would be my point in that song. So great idea to follow Jesus. Not a great idea to follow a lighthouse. I can honestly say you will not get safe to shore if you go, oh, There's a lighthouse. Ah, we know the song. That's not a good idea, okay? And let me tell you, Jesus knew a bit about this. He did manage to still a storm and spent a lot of time in fishing boats. He wouldn't have told you to do that. Anyway, where was I? Yes, so we've got this story going on of this man who is born blind, who is healed by Jesus, who is the light of the world. I knew there was something to do with the lighthouse. Jesus, the light of the world. And he tells us that, and he reminds us of that in this story. But I want us to kind of think about, as I often feel, that what we need to be asking ourselves as God's people today is not just what did God's word say, but what does God's word say to me in my life, in our world today? Now, I don't know about you, but um, I've kind of learned something over the last few years, and that is you can't believe everything you read on the internet. And that may be a shock for some of you. But you can't believe, in fact, one of the things that I find fascinating about society today is that we recognize more and more and more that virtually every story, every narrative, every piece of news that we read has got some kind of spin on it. It's someone's version of events. I I remember, remember noticing this a few years ago. I mean, this is going back a bit, to be fair, but some of you remember George Osborne. No. Yes, yeah, he was an MP around here, just down the road. He, the only place that's posher than Lim that I know of. But, um, he, yeah, when George Osborne was Chancellor of the Exchequer, he, he messed about with, sorry, he, he changed all the pension regulations. And uh, I remember two, two particular newspapers, one from, shall we say, the left and one from the right. And I've got a photograph somewhere, which I do need to dig out, and it gives you an idea of how long ago it is, because it's on my Blackberry there's anybody under the age of 25, that's what we used to call apples. You can work that out later. But, um, 
But there was, the, the next morning after George Osborne had announced all these changes to the pension scheme, there were two newspapers, and I managed to buy them both. It's, I did buy the Daily Mail on this occasion. And I put them both, I'm sorry, only, only for the point of the picture. Oh, Daily Mail, some, someone over there reads it anyway. But, um, and, and on the left-hand paper, it said, um, wonderful new pension opportunities releases people from work, or words to that effect. And the other one said, people now forced to work till they're 80. And it made me realize how easy it is to pick up a story and to spin it in the direction that we want it to go. And of course, that is happening more and more. We know that. We know that there are people now, phrases like fake news, which we didn't even hear of a few years ago. We, we know that there's great concern about what we read on the internet. And I'm not going to go into all the details. Ask Chris. He's an expert on these things. But um, you, you very quickly realize that actually the stories we absorb and the narratives that we pick up of, can so easily steer us in lots and lots of different directions. But what I find incredible is the number of people who think that this was invented about 20 years ago. Like it never happened before. What I find interesting about this story, this story from the life of Jesus, is that we see the same human nature at work. We can see in this story the way in which we as human beings can be manipulated and can be kind of moved in strange directions by the way we see what's happening around us. Now that's kind of interesting to me because as a community of churches, we've chosen for our theme this year, Open Our Eyes, Lord. The reason we've chosen that theme is because, first of all, we're seeing a lot of stuff going on in our world which disturbs us. We are on a troubled sea. We are concerned. We are asking ourselves questions. And, you know, we've mentioned already in our service today the stuff that's going on in Israel and Palestine and Gaza. We've thought about some of the inequalities in our world. We've thought about some of the ways in which we see what's happening in other nations. And it's so easy. It's so easy in those situations to just simply pray that God will sort it all out. Dear God, please fix all these problems in our world. But if there's something that we learn from the Gospels, it's that very often those things that some perceive as problems are actually God at work. God disturbs people very often. God rocks the status quo. And if you look even into the Old Testament, when you see the same kind of things happening in Israel and Palestine then as are happening now, when people are coming from foreign lands and invading and people are asking their leaders to shore up their borders and to destroy their enemies, God's prophets are saying, hey, stop for a minute and ask yourself what God is saying. Don't just ask God to sort everything out and put it back the way it was. Maybe God's got something to say to us in this. And part of our reason for offering that call, open our eyes, Lord, is to perhaps become a people who don't just pray God's solution, but pray that God will speak to our hearts in the realities of the world we live in. The second reason is because we are beginning to recognize that perhaps we have had our blind spots as a Baptist community. We've perhaps overlooked the gifts and the ministries of some people. 
We're being asked big and difficult questions about what it means to belong to the community of God's people in the 21st century. And again, it's very easy to simply come to a human judgment on that and to feel that our job is to simply guard our history and our heritage. And I believe as a people of God, we need to be praying, open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see. And the third reason is because sometimes... We can be so caught up in the big stuff, so caught up in the world events and the big issues and the challenges, so caught up in the agendas that others are setting that we lose sight of where God may be or we lose sight of the needs of those around us. You know, it wasn't that long ago we were celebrating and remembering the story of Jesus coming into the world. And one of the things that always blows me away when I read those narratives again and again and again is that while all the big stuff is going on, while Caesar Augustus is being Caesar Augustus and Herod is being Herod, there somewhere in a little field in Bethlehem, a poor helpless couple are giving birth to a child. That's where God's at work. And everybody's so busy looking in the other direction. Everybody's so busy being caught up either in the anger or the power games of what's going on. They lose sight of it. Open our eyes, Lord. And I simply want to invite you to kind of use this chapter from John to think about what that might mean in practical terms for us as God's people today. What does it mean to be a people who pray, open our eyes, Lord? Now, of course, immediately, there are two things you will notice about this story. The first of all is that it's very much got to do with sight. It's about a man who was born blind, and Jesus miraculously cures him. He he spits on the ground, he puts mud in his eyes, and he cures him. Now, I have read pages and pages and pages and pages of people who've put their own spin on this story. I know people who've told me that Jesus wasn't a miracle worker at all. The guy just had really bad cataracts. And because Jesus put the mud on his eyes and he washed it off, he never thought of washing his eyes before. I don't get that personally, but that's what some people tell you. You know, Jesus died in work a miracle. He just told a bloke to wash his face and he could see. I think his mum and dad probably tried that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. And then, of course, we get the other people who say, oh, it's Jesus. And Jesus has miraculous saliva. And anybody else's saliva, it wouldn't have been, but Jesus' saliva. And we can get all kind of caught up in that. But actually, there's a struggle in that as well, because we look at these stories, and I don't know about you, but I sometimes think, Lord God, what are you saying to me about that, about my faith? I know lots of people who've prayed and prayed and prayed for your healing. And I've prayed and prayed for your healing with people. And I've had to struggle. (laughs) There are moments when I've rejoiced. There are moments when I've seen you miraculously at work. But there are moments when I have struggled. And I want to suggest to you that perhaps what we need to do from this story is trust Jesus to be Jesus. To just say, look, that's what Jesus did. What can I learn from what Jesus did about what I should do? So that's the first thing. Jesus is talking very literally about opening his eyes. And as I said a few moments ago, Jesus is also talking about being the light of the world. And if you know John's gospel well, and I'll say a little bit more about this in a moment, you'll know that there are sort of statements recorded throughout John's gospel of Jesus saying things about himself 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. And so being able to see is quite a big theme in this chapter. And yet, what is incredible is the number of people who don't see what's going on. And I think that's part of the power of the story, because as you read it, this incredibly simple thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you do have a chance even to look at our reading today, did you notice that what actually happened is recorded in one sentence? Obviously not, no. Okay, just me. I noticed it. Maybe you'll notice it when you go home tonight. Tonight? That's worrying, isn't it? Yeah. You got all, no, it's next week, the sewing, isn't it? We're okay. We're okay. I'm not going to keep you that long. We won't, we won't, we'll be finished by two. So, but uh, where was I? What was I saying before I so went to rudely run to? Yes, that's right. The simplicity of it. This very simple fact that this man, Jesus said to him, go wash your face. He washed his face and he came home seeing. It's that simple. It's that straightforward. And yet, if you look at John chapter 9, it was funny. When I said, oh, we're going to look at John chapter 9 this morning, the first reaction I got from the people in charge of the service was, all of it? It wasn't quite like that, but, but it's a long chapter. There's a lot of stuff in it. And what's fascinating is that all the rest of the stuff is about people getting their knickers in a twist about what Jesus did. Am I allowed to say that here, Chris? Yeah, okay, that's all right then. It's people getting worked up about what Jesus did. What happened is that. It's recorded. And what's fascinating is if you read the chapter, it's repeated again and again and again. Every time people get worked up, the guy just said, well, I just went and washed and I'm healed. It was that simple. But the spin that people put on it, the fury it caused, the panic it caused, the worry it caused, the criticism it caused. And we never do that in church, do we? We never, ever, ever just look at one simple thing that someone's done and all start having a big argument about it. Baptists never do that. We go, we're good, good, we always just want to follow you. We never criticize our leaders for not doing things the way we think they should be done. We never do a thing like that. We're good Christians. But in this story, that happens. His parents, the neighbors, the community, the, the religious leaders. But I want to look just for a few minutes at the disciples. Because this is a story that if the disciples had had their way, would never have happened. If they'd have had their way, it would never have happened. Because what do we do? What do we good evangelicals do when we see a problem, when we see an issue, when we see something that we think needs fixing? We have a long discussion about it. And we try and find someone to blame. Is that, is that just me? Is that just where I come from at the other end of the M62? Does that ever happen here? There's too many shoulders going for me not to know that I'm touching a few corns here. But that's exactly what the disciples do. Whose fault is it that this man was born blind? Here they are, confronted by a man whose whole life has been blighted, not simply by his physical disability. But he lived in a society that blamed him for his disability. And we hear those disciples buying into the values of that society. We live in a society, they lived in a society that was happy to marginalize him and leave him in poverty because of his disability. 
And they bought into all of that when the only thing that they could think of saying to Jesus is whose fault is it? Who can we blame? Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question, boys and girls. The question is, how can God be glorified? So that's the first thing I want us to notice. We talked earlier this morning about today being a day when God would raise our curiosity. When God would make us a curious people. So I want to ask you a question. I wasn't planning to say this, but you've got to kind of take the ball when it comes your way. What is stopping you from being curious? What is standing in the way of you being curious about the things of God and what God is saying? Because what was standing in their way was, first of all, they'd lost sight of the humanity of this person. And when we turn people into issues, we end up in a mess. And we live in a society that so easily turns people into issues to be debated, to be discussed, to be criticized, to be classified, to be kept in or kept out, to be counted and put on graphs. And they saw an issue, and Jesus saw a person. And I believe that one of the prayers that we need to pray as the people of God, as we say, Lord, open our eyes. Lord, make us a curious people to discover what you have to say and what you would have us be in this world today, is we need to be a people who see the humanity of others before anything else. Because that was the first mistake that these disciples made. The second thing I want us to notice is that, that that leads, doesn't it? When you begin to see a person as an issue, you feel you've solved the problem when you've found someone else to blame. Whose fault is it? And Jesus says, let God be glorified. How can God be glorified? And I think that's the second curious question that we need to ask ourselves in our world today. In whatever situation we're in, it's not, Lord, who can we blame or how can we solve this? But, Lord, how can you be glorified? Now, that's interesting because this idea of God being glorified is again quite a big theme in the Gospel of John. It kind of starts by playing on the the theme of time, actually, when Jesus constantly says in John's Gospel, my time has not yet come. And then in John chapter 17, Jesus suddenly announces that my time has come. And he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, my hour has come to glorify you. Now, what is really quite eye-opening about that is that if Jesus was, if we talk today about glorifying God, what do you imagine that to mean? If we're going to sing some songs that glorify God, we're probably going to sing about his greatness and his majesty and his power and his might and his awesomeness, yeah? But of course, when Jesus speaks of glorifying God, it is the opening sentence of the final part of a narrative that ends up on a Roman crucifixion site. And trust me, that was not pretty. We've kind of made it palatable in our world today, but it wasn't pretty. And do you see that so many people, so many of his followers, so many people who watched were saying, overcome this problem, Lord, sort it out. How are you letting yourself go to the cross? But we are a people of the cross. God is not glorified. By changing events, God is glorified when his people 
seek to let God shine in the midst of those events. And that brings me to the third thing. And I'm going to be quick. There's a few people looking at their watches. That won't make a blind bit of difference. When you get your diaries out, I'll start worrying. But um, I can't see the clock anymore. Anyway, I should have gone to Specsavers or you should have got a bigger clock, one or the other. But um, the third thing is this. I mentioned a bit about this I am the light of the world thing that Jesus says. Now, again, there's a bit of a, it's hard to explain this, but if you've got some versions of the Bible, you might notice that the I am bit is kind of written in capital letters. Um, And that's to sort of remind us that this phrase I am was used before. It may even come up in Asaba's journey into the Old Testament. I don't know. Perhaps it will. You'll have to sign up to the Bible Society to find out. But you find that that phrase, I am, is kind of written in a particular way that you don't really get in an English translation. But it's what's called an emphatic. And there's another place where that appears. And it's in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses has been sent back to the promised land and he, he says to God, well, I don't really want to go. I really don't want to really want to do this. You know, kind of go somewhere nice like Lim instead. And God says, no, you've got to go to Egypt. And well, how, who am I going to say has sent me? And God says, Tell them I am has sent me, sent you. I am who I am. Now what we begin to realize with hindsight is that when Jesus uses these I am phrases, he emphasized the I am in a way that was offering those with eyes to see or ears to hear a glimpse of something bigger, a glimpse that God was in their midst. And that's the third thing that I would invite us to remember. The heart of our coming together today is the belief that when we gather, Jesus is here. But we carry that belief and we were reminded, thank you Darren for the way you introduced our service this morning, to remind us God is always here. God is always where we are. God is no less present when we're at work tomorrow or when we're at home or when we're out in the village It's just that we kind of come together to intentionally recognize that in our worship. And Jesus is saying again and again through these things, I am is here. I am more than just a healer or a teacher or a nice guy. God has come to you. So they're the three things that I would invite you to maybe take away and mull over. As you look at this story with all its spin, as you look at the world in which we live with all its spin, is don't let that spin rub off on me. Help me, Lord, to see the humanity of those around me. They're made in your image. They're loved by you. Help me to see how you can be glorified, whether or not circumstances change. Help me to discover your presence wherever I am. And I believe that if we can maybe just apply those three things to our different lives and different lifestyles, we may find something new of God. Our curiosity may be both awakened and even spoken to. Open our eyes, Lord, in this messy, spin-filled world. Help us to see the pure simplicity amidst all the noise and all the clamor. Amen.